Um, it's lovely to be with you. Um, there we go. Rack the place. Stevie McIntyre away. I hope he doesn't have that wetsuit on. <laughs> Couldn't cope with any more photos like that. Uh, but there we go. Um, it's really good to be with you in Portadown this morning. We've been looking at this whole idea of welcome Holy Spirit. I hope you've been enjoying that. I've been listening to all your speakers. Um, I love listening to that, so it's been really, really good. And uh, we've been trying to keep before you the idea that I think that the church was designed to function in a moment like this. The church was designed to function in a moment like this. Like, let's feel it. Let's face it. The politics, economies, things around the world are failing. Um, at this moment in time, and the economy of God is not failing. Heaven isn't getting it tight, all right? There's something about um, God molding us together for a moment like this. This is, the, this, is, this is a sort of a moment that the church shines. This is a sort of a moment that the church, we begin to realize that the church is above every other economy. Uh, it works on the economy of heaven. And I think um, one of the reasons as we talked, Chris and Al and Dave and I, as we talked about this series, we talked about how um, it was really important for people to understand the Trinitarian belief of the church. We believe in a triune God. And when we say we're Trinitarian, that means we believe in the Godhead. We believe in three persons who are so united in one. So we've got the Father, we've got the Son, and we've got the Holy Spirit. And that's what a Trinitarian belief is, not oneness not just one big figure that has three facets, three individual persons of the Godhead. And of course, then, the problem with that arises that we have earthing points for fathers and we have earthing points for sons. We can recognize that, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the old King James didn't help us much with the Holy Ghost, um, where it becomes more a mist or a cloud or a figure or something like that. And that's why we wanted to pull on one of the members of the Godhead, not to make it all about the Holy Spirit, because it's important to talk about all three. And so many times in Pentecostalism, what they've done is they've way overarched on the Holy Spirit, and they don't ever talk about the Father or the Son. And so it's important that you know the reason we're pulling on this member of the Godhead is because he's probably the least one understood. And um, so that's why we're pulling on that at the moment. The idea is, in the scripture, the Holy Spirit always talked about Jesus. He didn't come to talk about himself. He came to talk about Jesus. He is wild about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's answer to every question is Jesus. There's a great example of this in Genesis 27, where Abram sends his servant to get a bride for his son Isaac. It's a great story. And he sends the servant um, with 10 camels loaded with gifts. All right, so you got the father sending the, the spirit, as it were, to get a bride for his son. And um, the story is great. I haven't time to expound it all this morning. But as they come home, as they come back, it seems that the story would, would, would seem to lead you to the fact that um, the servant has talked so much about Isaac that Rebecca actually loves him before she meets him. There's a great line where it says, whenever he came into sight, um, she said to the servant, who is this? And she says, that's, that's Isaac, that's your husband. And said she lighted off her camel. There you go, girls. She jumped off her camel because she was so in love with him before actually she met him. And that's the job of the spirit. 
The Spirit makes us fall in love with Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, I grew up in a system that believed in the Father and the Son and the Holy Scriptures. And of course, that's not really true because the Holy Scriptures teach us all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is a person and he's God. And uh, to know God fully and to know Jesus fully, we need to know this aspect of God. And that's the reason we've been doing what we've been doing. And Jesus absolutely modeled the idea of um, being filled with the Spirit. Um, that was, he modeled that out, which is very, very powerful. And being filled with the Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, um, we're going to talk about um, being filled with the Spirit because um, uh, it's both a command and an invitation. I um, had my little boy up with Annette up at the hairdressers. You can see I wasn't at the hairdressers, but I had him in. Um, this is a couple of years ago, and there was two girls cutting hair, and um, one turns to the other and said, you're coming to my hen do, aren't you? That's typical Lurgan Porter Down language, isn't it? That was an invitation and a command. <laughs> there was no way of getting out of that, all right? An invitation and a command. That's what being filled with the Spirit is all about. It's, being, it's, a, it's a, both an invitation and a command. It's something that we must do. And so we use, we, we know that Jesus, Jesus modeled this out. And so in verses like this where he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. And the actual rending there is you being filled, being filled daily with the Holy Spirit. And what's he saying? He's saying, don't be under the influence of this. Don't let this shape your life. Be under the influence of this. Let this shape your life. That's, that's what he's basically doing there. Uh, and as I say, we use him as our rule book. Now, nobody will probably know who this boy is. Um, his name is Elijah J. McCoy. And um, he was born on the 2nd of May, 1844. He was born in Kentucky, uh, Canada. And the McCoys were fugitive slaves who had escaped from Kentucky to Canada via the Underground Railroad. And it was realized pretty early in his years that this boy was a genius. And, um, and especially with a big interest in mechanics. And so his parents back in, 18, in the 1800s, believe it or not, arranged for him to travel to Edinburgh, Scotland um, at the age of 15 for an apprenticeship in mechanical engineering. He returned home to Michigan after becoming a certified mechanical engineer. And despite his qualifications, he was unable to find work as an engineer in the States because of racial barriers. And um, the skilled professional positions were not available to African-Americans at that time, regardless of their training or background. So McCoy accepted a position as a fireman and oiler for the Michigan Central Railroad. And it was said that the whole commerce back then relied on the rail, on the railway. And the early trains, what would happen, they would go a few miles and the axles would heat up. And so the, the, after a few miles, they would have to stop. And when they stopped then, they, the oilers would get out and oil the axles and then the train would go on for another little bit. And what happened is, this would just put hours in the journey. And, uh, and so what happened after studying the problem that was in this um, system, McCoy invented this thing called um, the oil cup. And uh, basically, this oil cup was fitted to the axles, and he obtained a patent for the invention, which allowed trains to run continuously for long periods of time without pausing for maintenance. Powerful. 
But apparently what happened back then, there was loads of replica oil cups were purchased and produced and, and they were useless. And so what happened was they came up with this idea that whenever you were buying this, that you would make sure you asked for the real McCoy. <laughs> Interesting story, isn't it? And um, I love that because apparently these replica, replica cups were useless. And so people would go in and say, no, I want to make sure I get the real McCoy. And um, when it comes to living a God-filled life, I need you to know that the devil is a master at counterfeit. He's a master at counterfeit. Shame and guilt are not the real McCoy, all right? Um, legalism and policies are not the real McCoy. Lights, camera, and action are not the real McCoy. Um, Paul said it was for freedom that Christ has set you free, no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery. And Jesus, the Son of God, did nothing outside the real McCoy, outside the empowering and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit. And, um, and he just provides an example for us as we look through the Gospels. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence and power to guide us in everything we do. And we need to desperately stay surrendered and submitted to that cause. So we decrease. We often say to our worship leaders, we say that, you know, what you need to do is become an ice cube in a bucket of water. Because it's not about the worship leader, it's not about the preacher. We decrease so he can increase. That's what happens when it comes to kingdom. If it's not anything other than that, just behavior modification. And it's not the real McCoy. And so we want the spirit of God to work and to move. And so what we have is verses like this where through his divine power, we may participate in the divine nature. Now, my story with the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you a little bit about my story and um, we'll finish in time, don't worry. Um, when I was a boy, I got saved when I was six. I grew up in a brethren home and um, I got saved when I was six and I always had a passion and love for Jesus right from when I was a boy. Some of my older brothers said they think I was born saved, but that's not theologically correct. Um, but uh, um, I just always loved Jesus from when I was a kid. And I've always loved the Bible. I've loved the Word of God. And so um, when I went to secondary school, the bus dropped us at a place called Derriad Corner, which was about a mile and a quarter walk home. And my dad owned his own business. And if he needed you to do something, he lifted you. And if he didn't, you walked. And so when you walked, you walked slow. Um, because you knew that when you got home, he would probably find you a job to do anyway. And there's a little bridge in between two hills, um, what we call Pickering's Hill and Robinson's Hill. There was a little bridge, like a bump in the road. They've been trying for all of my lifetime to get rid of that bump. It just keeps growing up out of the road again. You know one of them ones? They tore it, and then up it comes again. And, um, and so I would stop at that little bridge and fire stones into the river, into that little river, it was, the, the river's name was the Stinker, <laughs> so for obvious reasons, and, um, and so I would throw stones into the Stinker River, and, uh, and when I was 11 there, I had an encounter of God that would change my life forever, and um, that encounter started to happen every single day, and so as I would stop at the bridge, I would get this encounter with God, I'd never heard of speaking in tongues, I'd never heard of the gifts of the Spirit, I didn't know any of that language, but something happened as a boy of 11 that I developed a language to communicate to whatever was happening to me at this bridge every day. And as I'd leave the bridge and walk 
walk towards home and go up Robinson's Hill, the language would literally leave me. And that went on for months and months. And uh, I had the common sense not to tell my mom and dad about this because I knew they'd probably lock me up. Um, but I knew something was happening and felt like the call of God was on my life. The problem is when we get a call of God in our lives, we always think it's for tomorrow, don't we? Or later on today. <laughs> um, but there's a gap theory. There's a little gap theory that some of us, I think, haven't realized that the, between the call, between the promise, the call and the promise, and between the, and the fulfillment of that, there's usually a gap. And most of us misunderstand that gap. And what happens is that's where we backslide. That's where we fall away from faith. That's where we try harder instead of actually leaning into God. That's where we rededicate due to emotion or something like that. That's why we change church because the message is easier somewhere else. Or sometimes that's why we just give up. Because this life of joy unspeakable, this life of abundance and fullness just doesn't seem possible to be able to get. That's why I want to talk to you this morning about the real McCoy. I want to introduce you to my friend, the Holy Spirit. He's incredible. He is amazing. Now, what happened in my life, I went into my teens. I started to teach Sunday school. I started to teach Bible class. I was a boy preacher um, and preached against the gifts of the Spirit, went with the flow of, the, um, of the, how I was brought up. And when I was 33, I was a lorry driver at this time, and I was hauling PVC powder for the um, PVC group in Doncaster. And I was standing on top of the a powder tank, loading PVC powder into a powder tank in the early hours of the morning, half five, quarter to six in the morning in Doncaster. And um, I had a revelation of the love of God. I don't even actually know how to put it into words. And through, all through my teenage years and through my 20s, I always felt like God loved me, but actually didn't really like me. That God, I was like God's teenage son, you know, that sometimes was just, you're, you know, I love you, but sometimes, you know, I could see you far enough. <laughs> um, and, uh, and when I was 33, I had this, I can only call it a baptism of the love of God. It was like the first time in my life, 33-year-old man, realizing God actually loved him. God loved me. I was his child. And I began to weep. And I, honestly, I wept for days. It just, it just that feeling of love empowering my spirit was pretty incredible. And so what we need to do um, as we move into this, we need to talk a little bit about how to release the Holy Spirit and surrender them and how to sustain and steward the movements of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How do we do that? How do we live this life? If this life of joy and abundance is promised, if this life of joy unspeakable that the New Testament speaks about is really easy for us to grasp onto, why, why isn't it? That as Christians, we live this life. Why is it we live with second best? Why is it we just don't have the real McCoy? Erwin McManus writes a book called The Barbarian Way. It's a great book. And in the book, he talks about how um, church can either be a zoo or a jungle. The problem with most of our churches today, they're like a zoo. <laughs> what happens is when you bring your kids to the zoo, you don't expect them to get mauled by a lion. Sure you don't. Because the zoo is a very safe place to go. The animals are quite dangerous, but they're all in behind. They're all in behind. They're all caged. And it's a very safe place to go. 
And the problem is that we've stirred our churches like that. Our churches have become a safe place to go. Instead, our churches were designed to be a jungle, a place where the power and might of the Holy Spirit and the power of God is unleashed onto people's lives. And as a pastor for 30 years, I know that for years I was protecting my people from God. That's the danger. We can turn our, our, our churches into a safe place where it's not anything goes and it's not a place where anybody can come. But when you open the doors to where anything can happen and anybody can come, then the church starts to become a bit of a jungle. And I love that. I love that because it's not safe. It's not safe. <laughs> it's beautiful. And the power of God can be unleashed. So let's read this passage of scripture. Make a few comments on it. And then we'll, 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 we'll pack it in. John 7, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now here's the thing. These words were spoken to Jesus, by Jesus, to a, a people who were spiritually dry, empty, Undefeated. They were, they were like many on our day. They were going through the religious ritual of ceremony, um, but finding no real meaning in life. And, um, and so there, there was something very powerful about this. In John 7, um, the occasion was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a third of the Jewish feasts. And in the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles lasted for seven days. When it comes to the New Testament, they added a day on to put an extra little thing in that we'll talk about in a moment. The guidelines for this feast, by the way, are found in Leviticus 23. If you want to read about it, you can. Um, the people were required to leave their permanent residence and build booths of willows or palm branches in the, in, in the city. And they would live in these little um, booths that reminded them of their nomadic days in the wilderness. It reminded them of the 40 years in the wilderness. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, the city of Jerusalem would have been filled with these little booths. And at the heart of the feast was a daily procession. So every day, what would happen was the priests carrying golden pictures would, would um, lead a parade of, or procession through the city to the Pool of Siloam. I've done this. It's the most incredible thing. Um, through the city of um, to the pool of Siloam, and they would sing these words from Isaiah 12. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the great crowd of people would then parade back to the temple, and the priests would pour the water from the pool of Siloam down upon the altar, and the people would shout and roar and wave branches. It was a great celebration. And this would happen every day for the seven days. Now, the eighth day, what they did in the New Testament, they added on a day and they made a little change from all the other seven days. On the eighth day, when the parade of people returned from the pool of Siloam, the priests would march around the altar seven times commemorating Joshua's victory at Jericho. And then the second thing they would do different than they did done every other day, the priests would raise their golden pitchers over the silver funnels that they'd done every other day previously, but this time the pitchers were empty. There was no water in the pictures. And the, this signified the disobedient generation that died in the wilderness. And instead of a shout and a wave of the palm branches on this eighth day, it would go completely silent. Absolute silence. And um, 
It was in that moment of silence, in that moment of bewilderment, in that moment of emptiness and meaninglessness that Jesus cried out. Like, you got to get the picture. Jesus is pretty cool at picking his moment. And um, Jesus had been watching these people go through the motions, perfectly following the order of service, but there was no meaning, no power, no life. And they found themselves right where they'd started. Nothing was any different. And I often wonder, I think about this great crowd of people. I think about their lives and their jobs and their homes and their communities and their churches. I think about what they brought to the face, their hopes and dreams. And I think of how they would return to their homes and no different. They were just going through the same old motions just to conclude with an empty picture. And what happened to that crowd still happens 2,000 years later. People come to church, hopes and dreams, but go home with empty pictures, go home with nothing. People go to church and all too often leave unfulfilled and empty. There's something so important that we understand the personal power of and presence of God. Now I want to jump a couple of slides because this is just a little quote that I don't want to get into this morning. Um, all right, we'll go there. All right. So we know that the power of the Holy Spirit actually is something that empowers us for salvation. We know that. All right. This is important. We're um, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we know that. We know that the power of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we use the word regeneration or a complete renewal of everything you are, or a new creation. You're being completely rewired. A new operating system has been installed. And Jesus was prophesying a whole new kind of living is about to become possible. This is what he was doing in this. A new life of was about to take hold of you that would bubble up inside you and, and come from within, which was so, so powerful. And, uh, and of course, some of us, when we got saved, we maybe had a feeling or a moment. Um, for many of us, there was no real feeling. We just knew we did it and accepted it by faith that Jesus Christ was our Savior and Lord. And so the power of this is important that we understand what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now, I, I have a sister-in-law who lives in the south of England in Exeter. And uh, I was visiting her with uh, Lorraine one time and I noticed that in her uh, hallway, she had a, she, or the little flat that she lived in was gas. And I noticed a little pilot light, just about a little small pilot light in the, and it was an open cupboard that was, it wasn't closed and I could see this gas boiler. But one of the times I was walking past that gas boiler, somebody turned a hot water tap on somewhere. And I don't know if you've ever seen a boiler, and that, that little pilot light just exploded into boom, into power and into life. Whenever we become born again, something happens in our life. The power of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. It's supposed to come in in fullness. I'm not much into the language of the second blessing. I know people talk about that because I don't think there's such a thing as a second blessing. I think there's a third and a fourth and a fifth. It's being constantly filled. It's this daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's what the theology of the Holy Spirit's all about, being constantly filled. For me, it came secondary. For me, because of my teaching, because of the way I was brought up. Um, for some others, it doesn't happen like that. So there's no, there's, there's, there's no you, you can't say it happens this way and this way and this way. For all of us, it's different because the Holy Spirit is a person and he understands personality. He understands our upbringing. He understands the power of faulty 
teachings. And so, um, for instance, um, if I were to uh, bring my marriage certificate here, I could tell you that on the 12th of April, better get this date right, um, 2007, I got married to Lorraine. And uh, I have a marriage certificate to prove that. I have a marriage certificate to show that that is legal and right. Now, if I just got the marriage certificate, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty dull, wouldn't it? Because not only do I have a marriage certificate to prove that I'm married, I have a person that encourages and hopes where we can have fun and fullness in life. And it's such a shame whenever people actually come to a point where they actually just don't live the power of the dynamic relationship that is in people. And this is what the love, this is what the Spirit does. He brings out the reality, the real-time experience. I love this verse here. It's one of my many favorites in the Bible, but it's talking about the hope that God gives. He talks about this hope that doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, three things really quickly that I want to say to you practically about this. First of all, Jesus described a condition, thirst. He described a condition. Thirst is a consciousness of unsatisfied need. Thirst expresses desperation. Thirst kills faster than hunger. One can go weeks without food, but only days without water. And so, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God? I love this little verse in the Psalms. It talks about, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O God. This is not a little thirsty deer. This is not Bambi looking at a wee drink. This is desperation. This is life or death is in this. And so it's really important. If you have an unsatisfied need in your heart, there's an invitation that was given. Jesus said, are you thirsty? He gives an invitation. He says, come to me. Come to me and drink. We're reminded that Jesus stood to extend this invitation. And that was significant because rabbis and teachers never stood. They sat and people stood. But he stood. And the only people that actually stood were heralders, like imperial heralds who represented a king or Caesar himself. But we have the imperial invitation from the king of kings himself. Come to me and drink. And notice that the invitation was not to attend a church, a program, a meeting, or a Bible study. It was an invitation to come to a person. Come to me, he says, and drink. And then, of course, there was a promise made. And the promise was that rivers of living water would bubble up with inside them. And he even goes to tell you that he was talking about the Spirit. Um, Jesus didn't promise a trickle or a stream or a gentle flow. He promises a river. And you need to get your mind around this. This is really, really powerful. And this is where, like the mighty river that's found in Ezekiel 47. Very, very powerful. I don't know if many of you know the story of the Amazon River. The Amazon starts about 17,000 feet up in the Andes. And it's just a little above the, above the freeze line, really. And it's just a little trickle of water. And what happens is that little trickle of water runs down the mountain and little trickles emerge from frozen ground and flow down the mountain. One little stream goes into another until a majestic river is formed that actually houses over 2,000 species of fish. Pretty, pretty powerful, the life. And the river flows and it picks up speed and power and it flows for 4,060 miles before it reaches the Atlantic Ocean. And when it hits the... The, the Atlantic Ocean, the mouth of the Amazon River is 150 miles wide. 150 miles wide. 
they tell us, I don't know how they work this out, but the rate of water hitting the ocean at that moment in time is 60 million gallons of water per second. And that's enough water to run a major city like London or New York for 12 to 13 years. It hits the Atlantic Ocean with such force that it pushes fresh water over 120 miles out into the sea. It's my prayer that you'll experience a power. Jesus didn't promise a trickle. He promised rivers of living water. He promises the real McCoy. How do we sustain it? Well, just stop trying to control it. Stop trying to control it. And just by faith, invite the power and presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit into your life and start to live like that person. Start to live like Jesus. He's the one that empowers us. And for some of you, I know we'll talk about this next week. Whoever's on next week, we'll talk about the effects of what happens whenever there is a, a power and anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Whenever that infilling comes, that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I was up early this morning and what I asked for this service and for the next service was, a, God, could you give me a fresh infilling? I'm not looking a second blessing. I'm just looking a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit because you see, yesterday happened and the day before happened and, and stuff happens, life gets around us, we leak. And so we need that fresh infilling, that fresh anointing daily, daily of the Holy Spirit. And he comes upon us like oil at times, like healing, equipping, empowering when we're hurting, like water he comes, cleansing, washing, refreshing, like fire, purifying and purging and, and making holy when we need passion and energy. And he comes like wind. I love this, the power and direction and the unpredictability of the wildness that's out of our control when we need to step out and have an adventure. And this is what Jesus says. We finish with this. And I think this is really important because I love the big moments. I love the, the power and anointing. I love those moments when you're in a church gathering and the, the emotions rise and things get maybe whipped up a little and you feel the Holy Spirit move. And you know what happens, you know, when Pentecostals get music going and uh, the anointing of the key and all of that. And, um, and there is something special and moves. And, and I love those times. But you know what? I love when he turns up for my kids. I love when we lose something. When my kids were all small and we lost something in the house and we said, guys, why don't, why don't we just get on our knees and pray and ask God? And we get on our knees and pray. That happened to you, yeah? And, and you find it. And it's just a simple thing. It's behind a pillow somewhere. And you can wipe it off. It's just been that important. That's, that's, that's why I love the Holy Spirit. I love it when a bill turns up and I'm not dead sure because there's a whole lot of month left before your money's, and you know, that, you know that time? And then you pray and you seek God and all of a sudden, so that's, that's, that's the God I serve. The God who turns up for my kids. The God who turns up when there's an unexpected bill. The God who turns up whenever there's trouble in my heart or stuff going on in my head that I can't control. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the, Holy, that's the real McCoy. And he's interested in you. He's interested in you, the individual. I did in my devotions on Friday, I did the little book of Philemon, and I need to finish. But I did the little book of Philemon, and in the little book of Philemon, I said that this is, this is, why, I love, this is why I love God. He can write a book to the church at Rome. He can write a book to the church at Corinth. He can write a book. Um, he can inspire one of his people to write a book to the church at Ephesus. 
But he inspires the great apostle Paul to write a book to one person, to Philemon and his wife and son, who lead a house church. I'm pretty cool. Just to empower. That's the God that I serve. And this is what Jesus says. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's bow our heads. Just where you are, just relaxed and singing, seated. Um, maybe there's just something going on in your life at this moment in time and you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not, you're, I'm not talking about lying on the floor speaking in tongues. If that happens, that's wonderful. I'm just, power of the Holy Spirit to help you be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better mom, a better dad, to be a better teacher, a better doctor, a better lorry driver. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask you right now that you would just release and empower your presence and your anointing into this room, that there would be a receptiveness of God, not a cynical attitude, but God, because what makes us cynical and skeptical is because we've been given so much old stuff over the years that's not the real McCoy. And this morning we're saying we're not settling for anything less than the real deal. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fall in every emptiness at the moment? That's what you did at the very beginning when the world was without form or void. The Spirit of God hovered upon the face of emptiness and brokenness and nothingness. And God, would you come and fill that empty place in our heart right now? Would you come and move in your power in our kids? Maybe in our kids that some of them maybe not walking with you the way we'd like to. God, would you come in our kids? God, would you move in our grandkids this morning? God, would you move in our homes, 